0: we have a chance to really take a step out and be the most sustainable, technologically advanced and farmer friendly and farmer profitable country. I'm just super excited about this opportunity.
1: Welcome to the Ivy Academy presents Leadership in Practice. Your source for insights, research, and experts on critical emerging issues in business. The global agriculture system is undergoing radical shifts. Food security, supply chain management, affordability, sustainability, all are critical to the long-term health of individual countries and the international economy. In this special episode, powered by the Ivy Center for Building Sustainable Value and the Institute for Sustainable Finance, we invite three leading figures in Canada's agri-foods industry to discuss the critical role of sustainable agriculture in addressing global challenges. Joining us are Scott Ross, Executive Director of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture, Alison Sundstrom, Founder and CEO of X; and Tyler McCann, Managing Director of the Canadian Agri-Food Policy Institute. Listen in as we explore the impact of technology, talent, regulation, and global connectedness in the agri-food sector. This episode is hosted by Brian Benjamin, Executive Director of the Ivy Academy at Ivy Business School, and also features Yuri Gwilandris, Ivy Faculty Member and Director of the Ivy Center for Building Sustainable Value.
2: Hello and welcome uh, to our Ivy Academy live stream. My name is Brian Benjamin, and I'm the uh, executive director here at the Ivy Academy. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Today's conversation is actually the first in a series to explore Canada's role in the future of agri-food system and the key opportunities and challenges facing this sector. This series aims to foster awareness amongst business leaders, shedding light on the crucial dynamics within Canada's agri-food sector, especially the critical issues associated with the transition of the sector towards net zero. This series is a collaboration uh, between the Centre for Building Sustainable Value, BSV Center, you'll hear me say it as an acronym throughout, uh, the Ivy Academy, and the Institute for Sustainable Finance. To tell us more about this series and the work of the Center for Building uh, Sustainable Value, we have Ivy's own uh, Yuri Gwandlaris uh, joining us. Yuri is an Associate Professor of Operations Management and Sustainability, and is the Faculty Director of the BSV, uh, as well as the Network for Building Sustainability. Yuri, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'll hand it over uh, to you.
3: Thank you. Thank you for the great introduction. Thank you, everyone. Uh, my name is Yuri. I'm Italian. Uh, I joined uh, the Canadian uh, movement in 2017, and I've been working here since then. The Ivy BSV Center has been established about 20 years ago and uh, as focused on sustainability issues in different sectors, uh, mostly from a research and, and leadership in perspective. But more recently, we decided to sort of um, expand uh, our contributions and frame them in the context of systems change. I believe Ivy has a lot to offer in terms of thinking through incentive structures, pioneering new practices, accelerating uh, entrepreneurship, as well as building community. So we, we thought through our role within system transition and the series today represent one of the things that we are currently doing in that space. It is important to mention that the center recently has been recognized for its contributions to the transition by the financial times. We, we ranked third in the world. In terms of integrating uh, SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, into impactful research that is published in top journal and disseminated uh, throughout different countries. Uh, why focusing on agri-food? Well. If we want to be perceived as a a legitimate, uh, impactful player in the space, and if we want to talk about systems change, we need to deal with real systems. And we think that agri-food is is a fantastic place to start because it has a strong influence on the Canadian economy and is also the source of major impacts from carbon to biodiversity, is also the source of the solution. Uh, There are ecosystem services that could be regenerated through the work of our farmers and processors. But obviously, that requires sort of a, an orchestrated, concerted effort that moves in, in w- towards one vision and direction. Hence, why the series that we put together, and we start today, we have a great panel of, uh, of leaders. And I hope to, um, and I'm sure I will learn a great deal uh, from them. Uh, There are questions to be answered in terms of what are new labels and standards that could develop in the space, how this development should be happening, rather top top down or bottom up, what's the, the right way to go about it, how financial incentives could be redirected according to these new standards, what's the role of financial services, banks, and policymakers in this transition, and we have presence as a business school in all of these spaces in the broader ecosystem that concern egg. So from the event today, I hope we will start to unpack some of these questions. And I'm really glad to, as you highlighted, uh, that we are collaborating with the Institute for Sustainable Finance, because this is not a one-man show or something that can be achieved in isolation requires really sort of a collective effort. And uh, what that's what we stand behind.
2: Amazing! Uh, thank you, Yuri, for getting us going and providing a little bit of context on uh, some very important and exciting uh, work. Uh, so, to build on your your comment, uh, we do have three fantastic panelists joining us today, and I'm going to do some quick introductions here, and then we're going to get going. Uh, so, first up, uh, Scott Ross is the executive director, a Canadian Federation of Agriculture. After serving as CFA's uh, assistant executive director since 2018, Scott was promoted to the executive director position in. 2022. Uh, prior to that, Scott served as CFA's uh, Director of BRM and uh, Farm Policy for six years, where he covered a wide variety of agricultural issues. Uh, Scott's policy work has given him a unique insight on how to develop and implement policy while balancing a diversity of stakeholder interests. He has an extensive background in collaborating across the agri-food sector uh, to achieve ambiguous, uh, ambitious goals, uh, sometimes ambiguous, <laughs> uh, most recently. Uh, Uh, including co-founding the Agriculture uh, Carbon Alliance, a coalition of uh, 15 national farm associations advocating on behalf of farmers with regards to carbon pricing and environmental policies. Uh, Next up, uh, Alison Sundstrom is CEO of ConserveX, uh, a Canadian company uh, researching and applying emerging technology in agriculture. She's the managing partner as well uh, of the 51s, 50 million food and ag tech fund investing in diverse founders transforming food and agriculture, uh, and an ag tech uh, venture partner at Builders VC, a San Francisco Calgary venture capital fund helping funders modernize antiquated industries with uh, over uh, 500 million assets under management. Uh, She holds patents for innovative technology and is published and presented widely. Allison is passionate about advancing women in STEM and in 2021 was recognized as one of Canada his most influential agricultural leaders. Uh, and uh, last but certainly not least, Tyler McCann is the Managing Director for the Canadian Agri-Food Policy Institute. He spent almost a decade working in government uh, uh, advising ministers as well as serving agriculture uh, and agri-food minister for most of that time. Uh, he has also worked as a consultant for farm groups, industry associations and small and large agri-food businesses, advising uh, on government relations, policy see and association management. Tyler operates a beef and goat farm with his wife and kids in Western uh, Quebec. So also very hands-on uh, on a day-to-day basis as well. Uh, so we've got a fantastic panel that are gonna bring some really interesting perspectives to such a critical uh, topic. So Scott, we are gonna start uh, with you. Uh, so big, bold question to get us rolling here. Uh, why is the future of agri-food systems so important for Canada's uh, economy as well as its Canada's future prosperity?
4: It's a pretty big question, like you said. I would say at the heart of it is the fact that I think agriculture in Canada has a really unique capacity to deliver resilient economic growth. And that's been demonstrated over a long time period already. And, and in doing so, I think if you look at the history of Canadian agriculture, we've also been productivity superstars in the Canadian economy in terms of our ability to drive um, efficiencies and productivity growth in agriculture. We really have been uh, unrivaled in terms of our capacity to really do more with less. And I think it's that sort of natural capital endowment that Canada has uh, and a relatively small population base at the same time that really does uh, present an opportunity for us to really focus in on comparative advantages that come from that and uh, look at how we can advance both economically and environmentally our sector in a fashion that actually responds to growing global food demand at a time where we're seeing mounting global food insecurity crises, but also um, supports domestic growth in a sustainable fashion by really focusing in on those areas uh, where we can be providers of quality agri-food products, whether that's fuel, food, fiber, through value change that are really leveraging those comparative advantages we have in Canada. And, um, you know, as a sector, we have the capacity to sequester a lot of carbon, certainly provide a wide array of other ecosystem services. And all of this coming at a time where we're seeing global and domestic markets really calling for um, more and more transparency and understanding of sort of how food is produced, how fuel is being produced, and and the sort of uh ec- economic and ecological benefits that come with that so Often the conversation is really focused around what we can do at the farm gate in terms of agriculture, but I think we do need to take a step back and really look at it as a value chain and look at the broader ecosystem of uh, industries and businesses involved in agriculture and and really look at how um, by really investing strategically in comparative advantages that not only, you know, explore market opportunities, but also look at sort of the long-term vision for what's coming in the future in those areas. There's a, a real potential for agriculture to continue as that resilient economic driver for the sector, but with the right strategic investments really ramp that up and capitalize on some opportunities we're seeing develop that Canada really is uniquely positioned to deliver on. And so um, given Canada's Canadian agriculture's real centrality to this broader ecosystem of uh, the food system as a whole, and also sort of potential as a uh, a supplier of low emissions fuel sources, there's really uh, a capacity for agriculture to be at the heart of a a virtuous cycle here that really support sustainability across a wide array of different industries and uh, can really build upon itself over time. So uh, it's a very pivotal moment for our sector right now, I think, with the sort of changes we're seeing in in demand and the uh, unique supply chain disruptions we've been dealing with across a whole host of different industries. But there is uh, a real potential and understanding that agriculture has been resilient through what we've experienced over the past few years and uh, in coming out of that I think we're all the stronger for it if we can strategically invest in the right places as a sector.
2: Well first off thank you for um, diving in on such a big bold broad question to get us uh, started I think we're, we're going to be able to to do some deep dives on a bunch of things that you'd, you'd referenced there interesting um, especially around sort of transparency collaboration opportunity for Canada to be a real leader in this space and you know at a time where uh, there's just, there's so much added complexity. Allison, uh, Tyler, anything that you'd add to that or, or build on it? I think
0: what I would say, Brian, is that we have to look at at our opportunity from the stand, from the standpoint of the assets that we have. And Scott said a really good tone. And those assets that we have go beyond the farm gate. And, and I, I like the way that Scott said, to address this, we must go beyond farm gate. Uh, We have to look, I think one of our strongest assets that we have is our science and technology. And we have a university uh, system across the country that is unparalleled. And we actually see that in OECD stats. Uh, Where we fall very short is on business expenditures on research and development. And uh, I think that on the farm, we have a lot to do with this. I like to use a parallel. Uh, The Netherlands are the world's uh, second largest exporter. You could fit uh, the Netherlands inside Banff National Park, where I am today. And it's a population of 17 million people. The economic strategy tables look to increase exports in Canada to 62 billion. We surpassed that. I believe we're now at about 80 billion, but the Netherlands, with that small infrastructure, has a um, an annual export of about 150 billion. So we have a great potential. One thing is the Netherlands is struggling with water, with uh, damage to their environment. We have a chance to really take a step out and be the most sustainable, technologically advanced, and farmer friendly and farmer profitable country. I'm just super excited about this opportunity.
5: And Brian, if, if I may, and touches on something that I think really speaks to why agriculture and food and its future is so important into Canada. And that is the, a changing global landscape. I think, I think often we think about agriculture and food as a domestic challenge, but the future of the world is, is unsettled, right? The future of our global food production system is increasingly unsettled. And we need to understand that some of the fundamentals that existed over the last 30 or 40 years, you know, an abundant food supply, the challenge of of we have too much farm production, what do we do with it all, is going to change to we may not have enough. And we need to think about what are these new systems. And we need to think about what is Canada's role in a a constrained global food supply market. We're seeing this today where Global reserves of, of key staple commodities are the lowest levels that they've been or, or have been historically low, especially compared to our stock to use ratio, and especially if you take what China is hoarding uh, out of the equation. And so we have this real difficult, the, the world has this real difficult challenge of, of how do we feed ourselves without destroying ourselves? And I think Canadian agriculture, building off of what Scott and Alison have talked about, is extremely well-positioned. To be a global leader in finding those solutions we just need to recognize that that is the, the kind of the challenge and opportunity in, in front of us and really kind of put things on on into high gear in order to seize it
2: important comments around Assets that we can leverage. So some of the things that Canada already is doing well. Sometimes we we don't under or we underplay what's already working. That we just need to 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 push further versus gaps to close and and um, and a real leadership challenge. You know and and you know that that's really at the heart of, of this and an opportunity as as well. I, I'm going to go back to you, Allison, uh, to start the next question here. Uh, and, and we're actually going to build on on some of what was just touched on. And we're going to cast out to to 2050, which. you You know, some days it's hard to imagine, you know, what next month is going to look like, let alone decades from now. But if we think about, you know, what the agri-food system can look like in 2050, how different is it going to be from today? And and maybe more specifically, what will be different from what we have today?
0: So I'm hugely optimistic. So I'm going to take this from an optimistic uh, situation because there's two... There's two lenses on this. Uh, From my perspective, I think that we're going to see that we're going to have a great deal more of our products being bioengineered. And that should not be that should not be fearful. We actually have new technologies, gene editing technologies that really are just speeding up evolution that can respond to some of our problems. What we really need to do to expand on this is we have to figure out how do we get the tools and technologies into the hands of farmers. The second thing we have to look at is we have to look at the fact that my dad on a tractor is not the state of the industry. The state of the industry is that we do adopt technologies. We do adopt applications, but let's put this on a very fast trajectory. If we look, uh, water use is something, we talk about carbon, and I'd like to take the conversation from net zero to net positive. And a focus on carbon has to go broader. We must focus on water, on biodiversity and other factors, but we are going to run out of, we're going to have 40% more demand on our water assets by 2030 than we can supply. So how do we respond to that? By 2050, what I want to see is I want to see us using advanced connectivity, being super connected, all of our devices connected. I want to see us being principled about data, understanding that sharing of data can be done very effectively. We will then lead in this way. And then finally, let's not be afraid of precision fermentation. We have built a very strong energy industry that gets a terrible black eye. I come from Alberta, so I have a perspective here. But we could, we could be the um the strongest renewable energy. We could intersect on those to build a strong bioengineered industry requires exactly all the tools of a um, world-class industry like energy and mining, let's consider that we have to focus on value-added opportunities. And so I think that for Canada, we have the assets, we have the science, we have the technology, we can disrupt.
2: Sounds like a call to action in there as well, which I think is is quite exciting. Uh, Tyler, I'm gonna uh, go to you next around, uh, and, and let's sort of build on what we've uh, just hit on, which is how do we accelerate uh, agri-food transition towards uh, net zero by 2050, maybe net positive, Alison was going even a little further around uh, and enhancing prosperity uh, and competitiveness for, for the sector uh, as a whole. Maybe you can pick on a couple of those points and go a little further for us.
5: Yeah, and, and I first want to pick up on something that Allison said that is really important. I think often our conversation around the sustainability of production in the food system today is driven about Carbon accounting and are we going to be net zero or net positive? Allison has talked about water several times. We need to recognize. Uh, biodiversity is important. We need to understand again economic and social sustainability. And so, I really do think that when we think about the future of the food system, we really need to be thinking much more broadly than we are today. And we need to understand that again, especially if you look about what's happening around the world, how we're using water is going to be a major driver of the future success of the food system. So, I, so I think just in general, again, I know today we're talking about net zero, but we really need to not lose sight of these other really critical issues that are that are in. in facing us but but I think Brian what what we've got to do is make a decision about what we want the future of the food system to look like do we want a it effectively an, an intensive uh, highly productive, food system, highly technological food system, or do we want to embrace a, a effectively a, a low input, low output, more extensive model of agriculture? And I think that, that is the debate that's playing out around the world today when we think about the future of food. I think if you look at, at at the the assets that that we have, one of the things Canada does have is a lot of land, but we need to understand that while we have a lot of land, only about 7% of our land base in Canada is used for food production. So this uh, this ability to have this this really significant extensive Agriculture system isn't really there. I think if you look at kind of these broader challenges around biodiversity, around emissions, around water, really what, what the science point to is that we need to leverage a lot of those assets that Allison talked about and really deliver more productive, more intensive, uh, lower footprint, higher output agriculture system. And and I, and I think that there's a couple of things that we need to do to get there. I think we need to invest in r and I mean, like we really need to really understand that this is an incredibly Uh, competitive marketplace. Canada does not do as well as we should. We're not a laggard, but we're definitely not a leader. We're probably quite comfortably middle in the pack. And and in this landscape, when you look at all of the pressures that our food system is is facing, the lack of R&D investment today is an issue 10 years from now. And we are, I think, really starting to to deal with the consequences of an underinvestment. If you look at the total factor productivity this this ability to to drive more with less canada is starting to lag behind others and we're seeing our growth in total factor productivity slow down so we need to do more to invest in r and d and we need to do that and, and we need to do that in our public institutions but we also need to create more of a, a, a private ecosystem where we're driving more growth where we're seeing more allison's that are coming out of it we need to look at what does a more enabling public policy environment look like how do we create that that regulatory, that program, that policy suite that enables us to drive growth in the sector? And we need to build more sustainable value chains because, again, as Scott and Allison have talked about, this isn't just about what's happening on farms and the BMPs that farmers are using, but how are we creating the systems that are demanding and and willing to to pay for more sustainable food systems? How are we creating that that knowledge ecosystem that's that's translating? new innovation, new technologies back along the the value chain? And how do we put all of that together to grow? And I I would just say that, I think that there are some really good examples outside of agriculture and food that give us the recipe for it. I think the government's critical mineral strategy and approach to building a critical minerals and EV supply chain is actually a really good model. We don't need to reinvent the wheel, Brian. We just need to understand that agriculture and food is a lot closer to critical minerals and electric vehicles than it is to kind of this old antiquated view of of you know a red barn and a farmer with suspenders out, out farming his crops.
2: Uh, thank you for for that. And you know I I couldn't agree more. And and we see this is we're trying to solve problems going in in sort of parallel paths, missing opportunity to to learn and and collaborate. So it's great to be able to make some of those connections and 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 share uh, share some some learnings as we move uh as we move forward. Let's go a little further actually. I'm gonna pick up on on you talk about investing in in RD. Is there anything in particular that that you or any of the other panelists would point to that could be maybe a catalyst to sort of Move that forward, or, or a way to to to, to jumpstart it, if if it's going to be so critical to to moving this along.
5: Yeah, I I, I think by uh, the unfortunate reality, and Allison may have a, a different answer, but the unfortunate reality is there is so much opportunity for growth in this space for us to do more in this space. It really um, there's a po- probably a pretty long list of things that we can do that would have a significant impact. I I personally think um, that the government, you know, so, so the 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 innovation uh, science and economic development. Uh, Department had a panel that released the results earlier this year looking at the role of federal R&D. And I think that there's a real call to action around mission-driven research there. And I actually think that that's what we need to see in agriculture. If, If the Agriculture Canada really wants to prioritize delivering more productivity growth, more sustainability, it needs to invest more. I think we've got a debate right now. They're trying to reorient existing funding into these environmental priorities. I think that that's the the wrong approach. That that existing funding is dealing with existing priorities. These are new priorities that we're adding for and adding on. And I think the federal government should be coming to the to the table with with a significant additional investment and mission-driven research around the, the future of that sustainable
4: food system. I would just build on what Tyler said. I completely agree about the importance of investment. I think another really critical element, though, in, in this sort of new normal uh, that that Tyler referenced for this sense of uh, sort of new missions and potential mandates for a sector, one of the things we need to also look at in that context is, is really taking a step back and strategically assessing what we're doing well, who's doing what in our research ecosystem, And making sure that we're strategically investing in the right places and not duplicating work or overlapping where there is a real continuum of public research institutions that have to play a vital role. Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada and our our universities being a a major part of that, certainly, Um, but really assessing the whole continuum of research from basic discovery research to commercialization and ensuring that we really do have that continuum, well-resourced and sort of working in concert with one another. And, and central to that, I think, is investing in, in highly qualified personnel, is making sure that we have the people at the center of that to keep that research going and that we've created a climate that's conducive and attractive to researchers so that we are seeing not only investments made today paying dividends 10 years from now, but that cumulative growth over time of benefits of that discovery research being compounded into a real world Applications and innovations in the future.
0: So I'm going to take a bit of a a challenge to both Tyler and Scott, and I I do definitely agree with their statements. But the government, I think that the government buzz, budget outside of uh, outside of subsidies is about 580 million. That New Zealand opportunity, they invest 2.5 billion. So if we're going to invest, we have to invest well. Government can't invest the money. The Canadian government is not where we should be looking for money. That's why I'm focusing so much on the venture capital ecosystem, the capital markets. And I'd like to tell you where the most money sits, which we could unlock. And that's in our pension funds. So if you take a look, our pension funds will reach almost $5 trillion by the end of this year. That's amazing. Now, the Canadian pension, and there are really great group. I'm not giving them a knock. But their growth equity team sits in San Francisco and their investments are made worldwide. So infrastructure investments at the lesser level. So how do we create an ecosystem here that attracts capital? And how do we take that capital to understand that investing in uh, food and agriculture is one of the best investments you can make. And we can actually track that through uh, financial statistics. So the fact that this program is is being um, launched by Sustainable Finance at IV. this is really cool because we're combining the thought process of what it needs to take now i'm going to also challenge you that i don't want to see the government streaming research fundamental research we need researchers working on every aspect we need to make sure that multiple researchers are working now that takes investment so how do we do that The other thing that it takes is we've got great research. The University of Toronto files two U.S. patents per week. They are a powerhouse in artificial intelligence. We have powerhouse universities everywhere. How do we make sure that these universities have the funds, the infrastructure, the capacity? One of the ways is we make sure they commercialize their research and we really need to see it come to market quicker. I'd say there's opportunity for all of this, but we have to look beyond the government for funding.
5: You know, Alison is is absolutely right. And 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 I think one of the things that we have failed on in Canada to date, and although that, that, that may be changing, is attracting that private sector investment and interest in a sustainable food system. I think if you look at, uh, I mean, I think there was a Maybe maybe we've turned a, co- a corner with uh, you know the announcement that the launch of the Canadian Alliance for Natural Agriculture. I think that that's that's kind of one of the first big glimmers of hope. I think that we're seeing some investments around growth and, and technology that that Allison can speak to. We've seen Telus come into the marketplace, but but I, I mean these are really small incremental pieces. Whereas. They, if you look at what's happening south of the border, if you look at the investments that ADM and PepsiCo are making, if you look at, at the the investments that, that Walmart is making, these these are real, these are value chain, significant value chain players that are making significant investments to build a more substantial, more sustainable food system, to build that competitive advantage. Again, they see it as a competitive advantage. I'm sure that the good people at Walmart have the best intentions, but they are making these investments because they see a return and a positive opportunity. And the question gets to be: what do we need to do and what do we need to change in Canada to attract and unlock that that potential and that investment, and it is in the R and D in and innovation side, but it is also about building higher value products that return more profitability to everyone along the chain. Again, Kansas focused on on developing an MRV system. Again, that that does seem to be one of those fundamental pieces that needs to be developed so we can send that value along back along the food system. But but there's a lot more to it than that. And and again, I think I think Allison's right. But again, I, th- I think that government does play an important role. It would be nice if we had a discussion about what role does government actually want to play and how do we get them to be making the right strategic decisions rather than creating this kind of messy space where everybody wants to compete against each other and, and really we're not getting that, that basic fundamental foundational research that only government will do and creating opportunities for others to, to, to drive investment uh, in, in the rest of the ecosystem.
2: How do we attract the talent that we need to be able to move this forward um, to, to this space? And, and the second question I'll come to after, but you can get some, some gears turning is, you know, what are our educational institutions doing? What do our educational institutions need to do in order to ensure we've got the right capacity to, to move some of these big, bold, ambitious pieces forward? So comments on on sort of the uh, the talent Um, needed and and the talent as it is to today and and how we're feeling about it.
4: Yeah, maybe maybe I'll start there. Um, I would suggest one of the biggest things we need to address is the sense that I think, in, in, and this is really specific to farming and primary agriculture, but I think the history of the sort of way profitability in our sector is characterized and looked at is a bit of a yoke around our necks in terms of there's a sense still that agriculture is a, a lifestyle choice, not a business. And I think the sense that in doing so, you're sacrificing profitability or quality of life. And I think there's a, a reality that is uh, somewhat distanced from the sort of regressive images that exist for agriculture. And, and when we look at that talent attraction piece, we do need to take a broader perspective perspective and not look at agriculture as just farming. There is so many different aspects of the science and innovation ecosystem that are part and parcel of agriculture. And and when I think of what needs to be done differently, I think one, um, agriculture historically has been fairly insular as a sector. And I think what we see now with um, whether it's the interest from ESG investors, the kind of drivers around sustainability is there's a lot more eyes on agriculture from many different perspectives. And I think that's a challenge, but it's also an opportunity. And, And when it comes to uh, universities and sort of the talent pipeline coming into our sector, we really need to start looking at breaking down historic silos and, and not focusing exclusively on agriculture and veterinary medicine as the faculties we're looking at for talent. STEM as a field in general has an immense uh, breadth of applications in agriculture. And I think we need to start finding ways to um, raise awareness of what agriculture is in, in the modern world and what the future holds as uh, a sector that really has the potential to be a massive uh, source of climate solutions as well uh, and really capitalize on the interest we see in youth around nature-based climate solutions, around sustainability and positioning agriculture in a fashion that isn't sort of portrayed as one of the problem sectors, but is more focused on the future and the solutions our sector can actually drive. And and in in addressing some of those silos, I think there's a real opportunity to broaden the base of talent we're, we're looking at in agriculture.
2: That's great. Thanks for diving in. Yuri, over to you.
3: I think the word silos is critical, and I think, uh, thanks, Scott, for bringing that up. And those silos exist everywhere. In ag, uh, within our organization at IV, within some of the organization that we have at the table. And we know that silos uh, bring a lack of... uh, capability to see opportunities and capitalize on those opportunities, because they emerge somewhere else you don't have sight over, or you're not have awareness of, and you cannot connect the dots between seemingly unrelated opportunities that are happening at the same time. And that's why I want to sort of Certainly, highlight that in terms of tech and engineering, I'm an engineer by background, and then I studied economics and management. Uh, it, it is extremely important. However, how you, how we are going to deploy those technologies is equally important, and that's a social science type of question. What question? What technology should be ado- adopted? Where? Under what conditions? How to change the mindset and create the capabilities to to facilitate an uptake of those technologies? So the social sciences I believe have a lot to say in terms of how we should create social movements that go in the right direction perhaps even sometimes fundamentally challenging some of the assumptions that we make uh you know we are business schools and we teach economies of scale and we teach comparative advantage but but sometimes those concepts come at the expense of or at the detriment of uh farmers themselves you know over time Farming has been uh, specializing and acquiring scale economies to fight against uh, concentration of power both downstream and upstream. If you think about input suppliers, there are highly concentrated markets and farmers don't have power over them. If you think about downstream processors and retailers, very, very, very big players. Uh, And so the only option for farming over time has been to concentrate, specialize, acquire productivity, to squeeze away uh, small margins. I think we need to help uh, the farm. Farmers to come together as a community to identify what technology should be adopted under what conditions, more from a bottom-up perspective rather than a top-down, where we say here are the technologies you have to use, go after using them. The same applies in academia. I think we, as an academic, I'm often paid based on uh, my recognition come from uh, top publications in specific journals. To pub to publish there, it takes years, and you have to be extremely specialized. So there's no incentive really for. Or cross-disciplinarity. What we are trying within the center is to look at one problem for multiple perspectives so that those talents are trained with a, ver- a much broader toolkit. But, but again, that's an aspiration. We're working on it.
2: I got to start with an aspiration. Those are great comments. And I think you both um, hit on some important perspectives in terms of what can educational institutions do? How do we cross-collaborate and bring different perspectives? And sort of resetting maybe some historical uh Assumptions about what the sector is and what opportunities uh, actually exist. It, you know, we know that there's tremendous opportunity, and and I think there's we're going to be attracting a much broader um, talent pool than than potentially in in um, in the past. Allison, I, I'm going to put you back on the seat here because Yuri got us going a little bit on technology, and so let's let's talk about sort of the next wave of technical innovation and and sort of what do you see coming and and impact. On on the sector as uh, as we move forward. Also, with that lens of of attracting broader talent pools that are that, that want to be on the leading edge of of some of this and and start to move it forward for us.
0: So I was asked by a uh, a young man who was in the audience at a conference last week, and he asked me. He said, "I'm graduating. What should I take at university?" I want to be a venture capitalist. And I said, well, what do you think? And he said, what I think I need to do is I need to learn about investment banking. And I said, no, you need to start as an engineer. And I was really delighted to hear that's where Yuri's background is. Start as an engineer or start in biology because that is where, and then get your investment banking and you will be unique. That is where we need to see our skills and talents. The advancement of science and technology is where we look, and that's the space that I invest in. So I'm going to tell you what I invest in. I invest in ag biotechnology that's looking out about 15 years. I want to help them get to market quicker. So I'm looking deeply at gene editing for plants as it relates to climate change. I am looking at advanced genomics and sequencing, to really look at how we can improve the uh, efficiency of livestock. If livestock could create less manure, we'd have less we'd have less problems. Could we do something in this regard? Secondarily, I'm looking directly on farm and it's IO2 2.0. If we have this advanced connectivity, let's connect all our devices. I actually think that we have to look at automation and robotics and cobotics. We're not replacing people. And finally, I'm looking deeply at spaces that can disrupt our supply chain. A connected supply chain is an effective supply chain. And I would say that the farmer holds a lot more power than he thinks he does as long as he knows how to negotiate his contracts and governments give him a little bit of a lever financially to want bigger players to pay more. And then finally, I think the consumer is very much part of this. And so nutrient-dense foods and the things that we must change in our production practices, and I've got to give real kudos to Tyler to to talk about total factor productivity. We've got to be measuring our outcomes very much differently than just inputs, outputs. What are we actually doing that's affecting? I'm so excited, Brian, that the potential of technology will disrupt all of this. And I think that's the way that we're going to respond to a net positive world.
2: That's fantastic. I, I love how you responded to the question you got asked at <laughs> at the conference, and um, you know, really challenging people to think about different paths and different combinations because they're preparing for a different future than we've had. Tyler Scott, any uh, any additional comments on on this uh, topic? I do
5: think it's it's interesting how much things so are things are changing. So so it used to be. Um, generations ago that everyone had a fairly direct connection to agriculture. Um, people knew the farm, people worked on a farm, had grandparents that worked on a farm. We've gone through this phase where I think that, that drift between the food production system and consumers has gotten to the point where often consumers only interaction with the food production system is when they purchase their food at the, the restaurant. But I think I think we're starting to see this change come back around where people are coming back to agriculture and food. They're not coming back fast enough for those of the people that are in the food production system. They're not coming back fast enough for everyone that's trying to fill that skills and labor gap that exists in Canada today. But I think that we do see this growing interest from other fields and the potential that's that's there and in, in these new opportunities that are coming down and the ability to take and developments that are happening in other systems around the internet of things and bring them back into agriculture and food. I think that that creates an interesting dynamic that's, that's changing. And I think it creates an, a, a new way for people to get back involved and get back connected again to the food production system. I want to pick up on, on something that Allison said about the role of the consumers. And I think that we do have to understand. I think, I think the success of a sustainable food system will come whenever consumers understand the important role that they play and that their choices play in a sustainable food system and when consumers are prepared to invest in the food system. And I really do think the current challenge around food inflation has potentially interesting dynamics. Uh, one of the biggest challenges around uh, the sustainability of the food system today is the amount of waste that occurs in it. In a developing country, and especially in, in a system like Canada's, most of that waste is happening once the food leaves the grocery store. Our food production system is is relatively uh, efficient hopefully consumers are becoming more cognizant of of their role in that and and are taking steps to reduce the waste that they have but it's also putting challenges on their ability to pay more for more sustainable food and and as we look for that food system to do more as we look for the food system to to produce more affordable food to address their concerns that puts pressure for us to ask it to do more on a sustainability perspective and understanding where that delta is and how we close that gap between do we want an affordable food supply or do we want a more sustainable food supply do we want a more resilient food supply like those all, those three things require different actions again we're talking about sustainability today but i think if you went out and talked to a lot of consumers they're probably going to say right now their biggest concern is can they actually afford the food that's in the grocery store
2: thank you for um referencing something that is on the mind of of pretty much everyone right now in in, in terms of uh, uh affordability but i uh, like those sort of dichotomies. It's not a, how do we move from a, I got to choose this, or I have to choose this, to actually, can we achieve both? It, it, it's not an or, it's an and situation that we're looking to move ourselves um, towards. In order to sort of lead and 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 really sort of compete on a global stage, you know, could you pinpoint one or two sort of big priorities that need to happen now in order to, to make some of that?
0: One of the things that we have to do is we have to have effective trade discussions. So we have to be an effective partner and we also have to be able to negotiate effectively. Without open borders, we cannot trade. And as Canadians, our marketplace is small enough, right back to the the Netherlands example, we've got a huge trading partner on our doorstep and uh, another one below that one. We have the ability to export widely. Lots of constraints, transportation, logistics. And so we really need to emphasize that yes, we can grow the food or we can engineer the food, but we have to have we have to have an effective transportation network. We have to really deal with some of our constraints. So I think those are some of the things that we have to do and then we also have to have the belief that we can compete. And uh, we definitely can. So if you do develop technology, as I did, and scale it globally, you have to understand the constraints, the strengths, the opportunities that exist in different marketplaces. So we need to be far more global in our education system, in our thinking. And then there's an area that's really important. We have to protect our intellectual property, and we have to know how to monetize it.
2: There is a lot in that. I, I love the belief that we can compete, right? We don't wanna we don't wanna be our own worst enemy and hold ourselves back. We gotta aspire and and, and drive those forward. So Scott or Tyler, I heard one of you're gonna jump in there.
5: Yeah, I just wanted to say that again. I I'll go back to R&D as a very easy place where we need to do more quickly in order to be a leader. But I really think one of the things that we often struggle with when it comes to agriculture and food and that global perspective is that agriculture and food is more than just a trade issue globally, right? Allison talked about how important it is, but I actually think that if I was the Canadian government and I was looking to try and understand What role Canada plays on the world stage today? What role we play as the middle power? What strategic assets that we have that we can leverage? Agriculture and food really should come to the top of that list. And it, and I often uh, think it's quite disappointing that we don't see the government embrace agriculture and food as, as a geopolitical lever and tool and really champion that, that uh, leadership on, on the global stage. And it should be about more than just opening markets, but it should be about building better relationships, it should be about encouraging international development. And so I just want to make a plug that that global leadership on food should be about a lot more than just exporting more food. That's really important. But it's such a great, great opportunity for Canada.
2: Any final sort of comments or thoughts on this topic? And in and- with that sort of lens of of Canada can really play here on a global stage, we've got such a unique opportunity um you know in in front of us that would support us both here at home but also um you know to be able to support us um as a contributor globally. One or two final thoughts, uh, 30 seconds each. I'm going to go to Scott first.
4: One of the things that can, comes up often in agriculture is these dichotomies between small-scale, all-intensive, uh, a lot of language around what agriculture should look like. And I think we need to take a step back and recognize that the future of agriculture is going to be data-driven and that we need to invest in the infrastructure to be able to uh, respond to market demands. Farmers uh, will produce what the market is asking for. They need to first understand what that demand means. And second have the tools available to actually respond to that demand and so we need to really look at investments in things like measurement reporting and verification systems and the ability to be nimble and agile in the marketplace and I think in doing that farmers are are empowered and enabled to address a whole host of the different sort of issues we talked about today
2: amazing um, let's um, let's go to Tyler next uh, Allison you know you're up next so you get a little bit more time to think.
5: Yeah, Brian, I think it's important to understand that Canada is a leader in sustainable agriculture today. Uh, Our adoption of no-till is higher than it is in the rest of the world. Our pesticide usage rates are lower than they are in a lot of other competitive markets. Our nitrogen fertilizer balance on our agricultural land is better than it is most other places. But our advantage is shrinking. Other countries are going out of their way to close that gap with Canada. And we need to realize that that we will, at some point in time, may lose our ability to say that Canada's got one of the most sustainable food systems in the world. And we need to work harder and go further and do more from a positive opportunity-based perspective to grow that gap and maintain the advantage that that we have.
2: Really, really glad you mentioned that, right? That, that's one of the challenges when you're in a leader position in some aspects, sometimes there's a bit of a target on your back as others try to catch up. So, so how do we maintain that advantage while looking for places where we do need to play a bit of, of catch up as well? So excellent point. Uh, Alison, uh, closing comments from you.
0: Okay, we've got some really... Big problems. And I would suggest that we have to focus on solving the problems we can quicker. I take a skunk work approach. We need radical change occurring across the country at the same time. And the final statement I would have is the Netherlands think of themselves as an agricultural nation for the world. Canada is an innovation agricultural nation, and every single child that comes out of school must be able to articulate that. So let's say what a huge opportunity, agriculture and science and technology. And I've just been delighted to join the panel today.
1: Thank you for tuning in to Leadership in Practice. We'd like to thank our guests, Scott Ross, Alison Sundstrom, Tyler McCann, and Yuri Gualendris. Leadership in Practice is produced by Melissa Welsh, Joanna Shepard, and me, Sean Acklin Grant. Editing and audio mix by Carol Eugene Park. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe. You can also find more information by visiting ivyacademy.com or follow us on social media at Ivy Academy for more content, upcoming events, and programs. We hope you'll join us again soon.